All right, it's great to see you this morning. Hope you'll be praying this week for that team over in Thailand and say, uh, minister there and then be heading back. She'll be back next Saturday. So we'll be praying for them this Sunday. We are continuing in exiles this morning. You know, when you look around at all that's going on in the world, aren't you glad? As much as we love the lives that God has given to us and the place he's given us to live it in, aren't you glad that we've got a place to call home that is better by far? Aren't you glad that this isn't all there is? With all the pain and suffering and struggle, you know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to paint a picture that's too bleak, but uh, someday the good news is this is all going to be gone. You know, there's a lot of good in life, a lot to enjoy, but this life's not very secure, is it? You know, we can be enjoying life one minute and then the next thing change can change suddenly. Uh, Becky and I had a little bit of a taste of that a few months ago, right? In December, we were headed toward, to a wedding and uh, heading up the highway, and um, a guy pulled out and, and T-boned us. And uh, we, were, we were good. Everything was, so in a way, knowing, feeling like at the very moment as this is happening, I'm feeling like, okay, the guy's door bumper is right there, and, uh, and, but I can sort of see where our car's going, how it's in, and knowing where it's all sort of ending up, I, it's weird how things go, sort of go slow for you in that, in that moment. Uh, it's sort of fun, you know, it's like, oh, this is, okay, here we go, okay, hold on, here, you know, and, 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 and God, our, our car was totaled, but we were safe, and that's what, what mattered, but ever since then, I've been dealing with that. You know, for three months now, I've been, it's just constant stuff. I've got stuff to do tomorrow regarding that. So crazy. But, you know, from that moment, I started talking with people. I talked to the guy that hit us. Talked to the, to the passersby that stopped. I talked to the police. Talked to the tow truck guy. Talked to insurance people. Talked to car salesmen because we were car shopping. Talked to people at the BMV. Talked to attorneys. I'm not suing anybody. They are contacting me left and right. It's like I'm their best bud all of a sudden. I don't know them, but it's like a feeding frenzy. There's blood in the water, you know? It's crazy. All that changed in, in just that moment. That's, and that's nothing compared to how life can turn on you sometimes. Someday, though. Tears are going to stop. The torn relationships are going to be repaired. There'll be no more hate. There'll be no more killing. There'll be no more dying. And we'll be with Jesus. And all those who've known him. Until that time, though, we're exiles. Looking forward to that day. As Kevin and Zach have pointed out, the, the people Peter was writing to were suffering. Some were even dying for their faith. And so Peter's trying to help them understand how they were supposed to live in a world that would do that to them. And for us, the challenge has to do with what, how we're supposed to live in a world that is at best non-Christian and at worst anti-Christian and seemingly more and more so as the days go by, as our culture turns away from Christianity, turns away from the church. You know, even as you see a decline in, in church attendance across our country, Actually, that decline is happening in only in certain categories of people who call themselves Christians. 
It's been pointed out that some who claim the name of Christian are, are sort of what they has been categorized as cultural Christians. And so they, these are people that are like, okay, I'm not Muslim, I'm not Buddhist, I believe in God, so you know, I guess I'm Christian. And so they, they go to church maybe a couple times a year, there's no real connection, no connection to the change in their life for sure. Their faith or lack of it is not impacting them. Then there are congregational Christians. Those are people who connect a little bit more to a church. They tend a little bit more. But there's, again, there's some similarities to those cultural Christians. There's not a whole lot of life impact. And when they are at church, there's not a lot of involvement. And then there's convictional Christians. And these are the people who actually are trying to live like Jesus. They would say they've got a personal relationship with him. They're committed to their faith. And it impacts the way they live. What the studies are showing us is that the number of convictional Christians is actually holding steady. The areas that are declining are the cultural and congregational Christians. And why is that? Well, as the pressure is growing, as our culture turns from Christianity, people who don't have strong personal convictions, for whatever reason, it's too inconvenient or, or, or there's too high a price to pay or whatever, they're turning away, which... In, Strangely, there's some really good news here. The good news is that the church isn't dying off. It's just being more clearly defined. That's why I think Paul, that's why I think it's happening in this letter as well. Peter is more clearly defining the church. What we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to act. Last week we talked about keeping our behavior excellent. And what we see next is that Peter goes on to get more specific to show us what excellent behavior looks like. We're going to try to cover a big portion of Scripture this morning, so I'm not going to deal with every word or even every issue that we could talk about through this passage. I want us to see the big picture here about what excellent behavior looks like for believers and so we're picking up in chapter 2, verse 13, not going to read this portion. We're, we're told here that what our behavior will look like in some specific areas. He talks about how we're to submit to government leaders. He talks about how we're to honor all people, that we're to love the brotherhood, that we're to submit to those who are over us in our work situations, even when they're unreasonable. That happens sometimes, right, with supervisors, where they're unreasonable. Yeah, believe me, I know. <laughs> but why? Why would we submit to someone who's being unreasonable? Because as Peter puts it here, this finds favor with God. This is how we keep our behavior excellent. This is how we stand out as followers of Jesus in a culture that has rejected him. And then the description gets even more direct as to why we should have excellent behavior. Beginning in verse 21, that's where I want to pick up and read. He says, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Wow, if you read that and you are blown away by that, you're reading it wrong. 
Think about it. We're told we're supposed to follow in Jesus' steps. And where did his steps take him? To the cross, right? And so, like, what? I'm supposed to follow in those steps, the steps that go to the cross? Yeah, it's a lot like what I think Paul told the church at Philippi. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, where, where Paul said, Have this attitude in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see what Jesus did? He, here he was, equal with the Father, in perfect union with him. And yet Jesus willingly submitted to the Father's will and stepped away, stepped down. What Paul says, he emptied himself, which is a whole other discussion. Emptied himself became a man, but not just any man. He became a bond servant and then was willing to die, but not just any death. He went to death on a cross. That type of thinking that motivated that decision by Jesus and those steps by Jesus, Paul says, hey, you guys, think the same way. So I'm supposed to think like Jesus, and then Peter tells us I'm supposed to live like him. It's mind-blowing. Follow in his steps. And I think this is the focal point of this entire letter. Everything he says to this point, to these suffering believers before this, in these first two chapters, it flows into this statement. And everything he's going to say after this is going to flow out of it. This is the reason for it all. Here's what living a life for a Christian should be all about. This is the focus. Even in a culture that doesn't accept Christianity, follow in his steps. If you just want to bring the Christian life down to as few words as possible, this is it. Follow in his steps. And specifically, follow in his steps that he took when he suffered. And how exactly did he suffer? Well, he suffered sinlessly. He's absolutely innocent. Jesus committed no sin. I mean, think about that. He had done nothing wrong. And, and this is written by a guy who had walked with him and talked with him, spent years with him, following him. And he's able to say he's innocent. He'd done nothing wrong. But still he suffered. And he suffered silently while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He did nothing to spare himself. He said nothing to defend himself. And then on top of that, he suffered sacrificially. He took our sin. He bore our sins in his body, completely, absolutely innocent, but taking all of our sin on himself. And all of our sin, that was a boatload, wasn't it? He took it all on himself. We needed him to do that. We needed rescued. We needed help. And that's why Peter says here, for by his wounds you were healed. Let me stop for just a second, because some people look at that phrase and they say, well, it's referring to physical healing. But look at the context. Okay, look at the context around that. 
It's telling us he's talking about spiritual healing, not physical healing. Before that phrase and after that phrase, what's it talking about? It's talking about what's going on in our lives spiritually. And I'd also point out the verb tense there. By his wounds, you were healed. In the Greek, it's aorist, which is primarily a past tense. It, it is. When, so when did this happen? When were you healed in the past? It's not looking down the road somewhere to some sickness you might have. It's pointing to the sickness you had spiritually before your sin was forgiven. When you were continually straying like sheep, that's when we were saved. That's when we were healed. So Jesus was dying innocently for us in our place without fighting back. That's what, how we're supposed to live. Uh, don't misunderstand what we're talking about here. When we talk about not fighting back, that isn't to say that that's not like if somebody comes into your home, you can't protect your home. That's not to say you can't, we can't protect our country. Okay? Not only is that a, are we able to do that, I think we have a responsibility to do that. So, and especially, I think, for me as a husband, it's my responsibility to protect my home. I think I have a biblical responsibility to do that. So, so when we hear a noise at night, I don't roll over and say, hey, Becky, can you go check that out? You know, that's my job, get up and go do that. Take the risk. Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. He's talking about when we, as Christians, go through some difficulty in life. Somebody maybe attacks us verbally. They're reviling us. They're causing us to suffer. We're at that point to follow in his steps. And if we suffer, we should be suffering because we've not because we've done wrong, because we've done right. So in that sense, we suffer innocently, not in the absolute sense that Jesus did, but in a relative sense. Why they're treating us like they are, it's not, shouldn't be because we've done them wrong. If we're going to suffer, we should do it without complaining or attacking. We should suffer silently. If we're going to suffer, the highest form of it is when we have to suffer for others. That's the focus of our lives. That's following in Jesus' steps. And then Peter begins to talk about what flows out of that. In the same way, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, you wives. Now, I'm going to stop right there, okay? Verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, Peter's going to talk about how acting like Jesus, following his steps, works in our marriages. And I know some of you would really like to get into that. <laughs> We're not going to do that today. Because we've got, we've got a family series coming up starting March 24th. So if you really want to get into that, come back March 24th, okay? We're going to start there. I don't want to get too much of that material. But just know that when Peter says when Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return. And when he su suffered, he uttered no threats. There's direct application to our marriages there. And there's a lot of us that need to learn how to live that out in our marriages. March 24th, okay? And let me do a little commercial while we're on that, okay? That same day, in the evening at 6 p.m., we've got a free, free date night for you, okay? As far as what goes on here, if you take your wife out to eat afterwards, you've got to pay for that, okay? But it, it's free here at the church. 
So you can come here, enjoy the night. What, we're going, what we've got going on is this. We've got a couple coming in. It's a married couple. Maybe you've heard of them, Barnes & Minor. They do a comedy show around marriage and family, and they're going to be here with us. It's not really an outreach event. We, we're not asking you to go invite your friends who go to some other church, okay? That's not what we're looking for. If you know some unbelievers who maybe need to hear this, that'd be, that's great. But it's not, it's not in the sense of go invite other Christians. We want to encourage your marriages here in our church family. So if you'll come that night, I think you'll enjoy it. I actually have a clip here from them that I want you to take a look. This is Barnes & Minor. All right, we have like the greatest Disney parenting tip ever oh, for awesome, you, yeah. all right? If you're headed to Disney World. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, you can actually drop your kids off at the Lost Children's booth. <laughs> nice. And you have two full hours until they call the cops. Yeah. Now, if you time that right with the fast passes and everything, yeah. You can get on four rides, okay? Hey, it's your day too. Enjoy that's yourself. Right, that's right. They'll feed, a, feed them a snack while they're in there. You know, that'll save you 20 bucks at Disney yeah. right off the top. Right now. You just have to make sure that when you come back to get them, you look like you've been looking really hard. Yeah, you gotta look like, so... We looked everywhere for you guys. We looked on Indiana Jones. We looked on Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain, they got all wet. We looked on the Matterhorn. Twice we looked on the Okay, so they're going to be here Sunday night with us, and uh, we hope you'll come and enjoy that. We're, you're going to provide childcare up to fifth grade. Um, here's the only thing we'll ask you to do. Um, you, you can come that night just like you come to church. You don't have to register or sign up or anything else. But if you have kids and you're planning on bringing them that night, we'd ask you to pre-register them before that night, okay, so that we know how many kids to prepare for, so you can sign up in the information desk, register them in the information desk or online. Please get that done so we're prepared and ready to go. We're looking forward to it, looking forward to that series. But back here in the text, commercial over with, okay? Peter lays out some instruction regarding marriage, and then he moves on to tie things together. So we're picking it up in verse 8. It says here, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or, resulting, or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Again, thinking about this context, Peter is saying, follow in Jesus' steps. Do you notice all that flows out of that? Now he's talked about marriage. Now he's 
turning more generally, and he says, hey, how, how much of this is about us getting along? Do the things that keep you getting along. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. It goes on. And Peter takes away every excuse we might have for not getting along. You know, and so we all, we all get it's easy for people to be nice, it's for us to be nice to people who are nice to us. We all know that. We're called to something greater, right? To be nice to people who haven't been nice to us. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. And a lot of us understand that. And we'll sit here this morning and we totally get it. We agree with it. Yeah, right. But what we sometimes fail to do, knowing that still, we fail to put that into practice, don't we? When someone's done us wrong, whether it's in the church or outside of it, our, our emotions get involved. Sometimes we're hurt. Sometimes we're angry. So it's like instruction like this just goes out the window. It's like we've never heard it before. And we can very quickly come up with excuses that make total sense to us as to why we're responding in a way that is not how Jesus would have responded. So we feel totally justified in giving that person a piece of our mind. Yeah, they did me wrong. They're going to hear about it. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to tell them what I think. Give them a piece of my mind. Or we'll go the other route. We'll try all kinds of things. We'll give them the cold shoulder, right? Instead of talking to them, we choose not to talk to them at all. That'll show them. <laughs> They're going to suffer because I'm not going to talk to them. And so we go that route, cold shoulder. Or we go out and we talk about them to other people about how lousy they've been to us. And we justify ourselves for not following in Jesus' steps. So wrong. The biblical approach is completely different. Think about other places in Scripture. Remember what Paul told the church at Corinth when some of them couldn't get along? In fact, they, they, they couldn't get along so much they'd actually take each other to court and Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 6, 7 and 8. Actually then, it's all, he says, it's already a defeat for you. You've taken each other to court, you lost. You lost. It's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. What's, you, you, it's better for you to, to lose whatever you're going after, the property, the money, whatever you're going to court over. It's better for you to lose whatever you're going after to take, than to take each other into court because that right there is a loss. Whatever it is you're fighting for, it's not worth it. It's it's too important as believers that we learn to fix our problems and get along with each other. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He said, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. How important is it? That we get along. So, so let's just say that things aren't right between you and another Christian. 
And you walked in the doors this morning, you come to worship. And you're going to sing songs of praise to God. You're going to give your gifts. You're going to listen to God's word. You're going to do all this stuff. But something's wrong between you and another Christian. Jesus would tell you when you walked in the door to stop. Before you go any further, go get that fixed. It's too important. In the church and outside the church, he talks about how we should respond to unbelievers, especially with, with those who have questions regarding the hope that you have within you. He says, be ready to, to be prepared to give an explanation. We should be ready to do that, to give a defense for the hope that's in us. We should be ready to do that. And I get, sometimes we sit back and go, oh, man, I, I, don't, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could give a defense for my faith. It's okay. What's not okay is for you to stay at that point. Find a way, learn, study, prepare, get ready to give a defense because somebody's going to ask you someday. You say you're a Christian. What's that all about? Why why have you made that decision? Why are you following Christ? What's that all about? And you know what? It's okay for you to say, you know what? Why don't you come talk to one of our pastors? That's okay. We're glad to do that. But it'd be much better if you could say yourself, here's why I believe. Let me give you the reasons. Let me talk to you about that. Get ready to be able to give a defense for the hope that's in you. But do you notice how Peter puts that? With gentleness and reverence. So you don't want to give them further reason to reject the message you have to share. Gentleness and reverence. You ever seen a believer be too aggressive in their sharing of the faith? I've seen that a number of times I can think of. I was in an airport in Atlanta one time. There's some Buddhist monks there. And there's a guy with his Bible this far from them, face to face, screaming the name of Jesus over and over and over again. It's not going to win them. And everybody who's walking by, I'm a believer. I don't like that. I've seen it numerous times. I remember doing some street evangelism in Milwaukee, Wisconsin one time. I was a youth pastor. I had a group of kids with me. And, you know, kids, they're all, in, they're all energy. And, and so they, they, we, we ran into a guy. We were talking with a guy. He was involved in some cult. And... Uh, I, 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 I'm not even sure what cold it was for sure, but I, I think he was in the Moonies. And, and, and so we, we got talking to him. And these kids, are, they're all aggressive about it, which I appreciate their enthusiasm. But I'm like, guys, down. <laughs> Settle down. We, we're going to share our faith. And it's okay for us to be direct. We should be. We, we, need, to, we need to be, but we can do it in a kind way. How did Paul say it? Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every man. Told the church at Colossae that. I remember being out in Utah, going door to door in a Mormon town there. That was interesting. And uh, door to door, sharing Christ with, with all these Mormons. And, and, one of, and, and, and more than once, I had some of them ask me, 
How have you been treated in town? Really, we're concerned about how you've been treated as you've done this. Because we we don't want our people, we don't want you being treated the way our people have been treated out there. And the implication is the way you guys treat us. I go, well, first of all, probably a lot of those people aren't evangelical Christians. They're slamming the door in your face. But the reality is, they come to our door, we should be able to give a defense for the faith that we have, the hope that we have. We can do that in a kind way. We can do it in a direct way, but we can be kind about it. Following in Jesus' steps, it's got to do with all this. How we handle suffering, how we treat others in the church, how we treat others outside the church. And if you're treated wrong for doing right, even then following his steps, know this, that you're blessed. And know that whatever you're facing, it's not a hopeless situation. The end of this chapter, chapter 3, is an interesting passage. It's caused a lot of debate between people as to what it all means. I'm not going to get into all of it, but I think the big point here is that there is hope. Even when we're living as exiles, there is hope. Verse 18, let's pick it up and read it. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, excuse me, resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Again, a lot of questions and a lot of different views on what it means. In verse 19 alone, there's just questions about, okay, what's he talking about in verse 9? When did Jesus make proclamation to the spirits in prison? And who are those spirits? You know, and I, I think this week I saw like six, at least six different viewpoints of it, so what that all means. So I'm not, I'm not interested in getting into that right now. What I want to tell you is this. I think the point of it is this. Why are we being told this? And I think what's apparent is I think what the, the big picture that Peter's trying to get across here is that Jesus' suffering didn't bring his end. And I think that's why Peter is bringing this up to these suffering Christians. They're following in Jesus' steps. There's good news. Jesus is alive. He won. And as you follow in his steps, even though for for now it may look like you're losing, even though it may mean that you're going through some suffering, ultimately, we win. Peter brings up Noah's family that was brought safely through the flood. His point is, again, that God's got you. He brought them safely through. He'll bring you safely through through. And that's when he brings up baptism. And that's where he makes a statement that sort of throws us a little bit. Baptism now saves you. Oh man, what does that mean? I thought we were, I, I thought we weren't saved by baptism. I thought we were saved by grace through faith. And not yourselves is a gift to God, not a works, including baptism. So no one can boast. What, why does Peter say now you're saved through baptism? What's that about? Well, I think you ought to know that 
that word baptism doesn't always refer to water baptism. It can also be used when we're talking about our immersion into Christ. I think that's what uh, the way it's used in Ephesians 4 where Paul says there's one body and one spirit just as also you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That, I believe, is our baptism into Christ, not water baptism. And that's, I think, the way Peter is talking about it here. You say, well, how do you know? You know, I think he makes it fairly clear when he says, it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh. He's saying, we're not, we're not talking about physical water baptism. And when he says the baptism that saves us is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's talking about when we turn to God with a desire and a willingness to live a life free from accusation, free from condemnation, knowing that we're forgiven. It's the same confession that, that Paul talks about in Romans 10 when he says, if you confess through your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The confession, that confession, without water baptism, results in being baptized into Jesus, and that's when we are saved. That's not to say that water baptism isn't important. It is. That's why we're doing it in a couple weeks. It's a great step to take. It's an important step to take as a believer. But that doesn't save us. It's coming to him by faith that saves us. And then the chapter concludes, for all those who've taken that step, look where Jesus ends up. At the right hand of God having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. I think we're being told that more than just as a theological statement. That's, it's a great statement, but I think it's more than that. I think we're being told that because we as followers in, in, of Jesus in a culture that is going the other direction should know that taking the steps of following in him impacts our relationships even in tough times, it impacts our relationships and our families, in the church, and the world. And in all that, we should know there's a future ahead that is safe, secure, and full of blessings that we can't begin to imagine in the presence of our Heavenly Father. And that's what's ahead for all of us who know Him. So live like Jesus, following His steps. Let that impact your life. Let it impact the way you relate to other believers. Let it impact the way you relate to the world. Let it impact the way you handle difficulties and suffering in life. Live like him, following his steps. Because there's a heaven waiting ahead for us where all things are made right and the pain and the struggle and the issues that we go through in this life are all going to be gone. It's better by far to be with Jesus. And someday that's going to happen for all of us that know him. If you don't know him, man, our, our desire is that you come to know him, that you know what it is to walk with him through life, and we would be glad to talk with you about how you can take that step, become a follower, and uh, we're going to pray in just a second. 
Afterwards, there'll be pastors back here in this room, right back here, room one. We'd be glad to talk with you about how you can know that you have a relationship with him and know that your sins are forgiven and you're headed for heaven one day to be with him forever. There's a life that is much better for all of us, and that's following in his steps. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you for loving us and giving us new life. And uh, it's a life, Father, that's uh, clearly with challenges. It's intended to be that way. Help us, God, to live faithfully through those. Help us, Father, as we handle difficulties in life, to be able to do that in a way that will reflect your Son. Help us, Father, in our relationships with each other, with the world. God, help us to keep in mind not only this moment and these times and how we're handling them, but the, the realization and the encouragement and the hope that we have of the future in your presence. We look forward to that day, Father, and we look forward to being with you and being with all those who've known you that are there now. We love you. Thank you for loving us, bringing us to yourself. Pray now your blessing on the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming today. You're dismissed.